0: I have what is largely considered across the army a, a lot of experience, you know, over a decade in the army, most people will say, yeah, that's a good amount of experience. And I am constantly looking to my peers, my superiors, and my subordinates to give me input and feedback. I, I don't have all the answers. I can't see everything. And there are still a lot of things that I have not experienced in the military. I need the help of other people to make decisions, especially as an officer. You know, and it's, you know, it is, it's personality driven, you know, and you
1: get that, you know, leadership is personality driven. This month, we welcome Austin Von Lechtemann to the podcast. Austin is an army intelligence officer and the owner of the social media account at Mandatory Fun Day, where he pokes fun at the various nuances of military life. Austin is also an elite level one fitness trainer and has a bachelor's in sports and health sciences from the American Public University. Curvin and Austin discuss military life, physical fitness standards, TikTok, and the mental health crisis affecting military veterans. You can find Austin on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and now even on YouTube. We hope you enjoy this conversation.
2: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: All right, welcome Austin von Littkeman to the podcast. Austin, how you doing? How's it going, brother? I'm doing great. Awesome. You are. You may be the biggest influencer in military history since George Washington. Could uh,
0: be. Well, I'm sure. I'm for sure growing. But there's a, there's a couple guys that are still quite a bit bigger than I am. But it's been a, it's been a really fun ride. And seeing seeing my presence on social media grow through really shared hardship that I'm getting to kind of poke a little bit of fun at has been it's been
1: really great. Awesome. Yeah. And it's. I mean it's it's awesome for guys like me, who's a veteran and friend of friends of mine. And, and I still work in that sort of, you know, Department of Defense landscape. So a lot of us really enjoy the account. But I, I'll let you, you know, introduce who you are, you know, the account that you run. If uh, people listening don't know, Mandatory Fund fun day.
0: Yeah. yeah, sure. So I'm mandatory fun day on I'm, and I'm on TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram now. And I've kind of just recently started, you know, at Originally, I wasn't you know, doing podcasts just because I didn't have any experience with them and I was focusing on other things. But I think it's a really important aspect of being an influencer and it's something that I wanted to do. But a little bit more about my background before I get too off topic. I'm married. I've been married for almost 12 years. I've got four daughters, a degree in exercise science, and I've been in the army for about 11 years. I've been in Intel the whole time.
1: So it's been fun. Awesome. Now, you are an officer now, right? Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Were you enlisted before or did you come in as an officer?
0: No, I was enlisted before. So I was a 35 Fox originally. Okay. Uh, I made it to staff sergeant for those of you that are not in the Army, that's E6 in the Army. And, and can you, and you tell I people what the 35 OSU. Fox
1: is for those that are not?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 35 Fox is an all source intel analyst. And basically, there's different disciplines of intelligence mm-hmm. in, across the DoD. Mm-hmm. And all source guys, you know, they are placed in, in, Areas where multiple different kinds of intelligence are working together, and we are the ones that kind of put everything together and make it consumable for the commander. Oh, right.
1: Awesome. I I asked that because seeing the stuff that you're doing on Instagram and sort of the the jokes that are that you're poking fun at of different veterans and different things within the army, it's very much an enlisted kind of mindset. So so a lot of times when I see when I meet an officer, and I'm I'm a, immediately, usually I can immediately tell if they were enlisted before just because of, you know, the way that they work within mm-hmm. the office, the things that they say and kind of the jokes that are made. And it's a lot of the jokes that you do on a mandatory fun day. So what got you in, like, what was the thing that really got you started in doing th- those sort of like five to ten second clips about different things that happen in the military and different sort of stories of veterans moving on to the into the corporate world and sh- kind of struggling to figure out how different the corporate world is from the military.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I I mean, I started I, I've always enjoyed making people laugh and and honestly, I've always, you know, liked social media too. A couple of years ago, I ran a fairly large Facebook group. It was a second amendment oriented Facebook group. It's since been banned by a Facebook. It's not a very pro-Second Amendment platform. Neither <laughs> here nor there. But I like social media. I think having a presence on social media is cool and I think it's powerful. It's, I, you know, I really... I wanted to make people laugh. You know, I want to bring
1: people joy. I want to make people happy. And that's kind of the point of the videos. Yeah, and you're doing... An excellent job because because you really I appreciate it. And you probably seen me have commented on a few things because it resonates. Uh-huh. It, it just resonates so much. So now you mentioned you went from enlisted, and then you be you became an officer. What was sort of like the the linchpin for that? What was was that something that was brought to you? Did your command say, "Hey, we'd like for you to to be an officer"? Was that because of your work that was being done as an enlisted?
0: Yeah, it's funny it, you're you're hitting it right on the head. So I, I originally had intentions of getting out of the Army when I was stationed at Fort Lewis. So this was, and that was 2015 to 2018, I was stationed at Fort Lewis. I got put on orders. I didn't want to sign a declination of continued service statement, you know, just because at the time there were people that were signing what's called deck statements, declination of continued service statement. And they were like getting put on orders for Korea, for example, and then they come back with, like, A month to clear out of the army. So I didn't want to sign a deck statement. I just took some orders that I got cut, right? So I'm at Fort Lewis. I want to get out. I was working to get hired on at the Seattle Police Department. And I got, and I had to, part of the frustration was I had to re enlist to meet the obligation of the orders. So it was either re enlist or sign a deck statement. I didn't want to sign a deck statement because that there are some second and third little effects from doing that for your career. So anyway. I go to Fort Sill next. That's what the orders were for. And I've had to Fort Sill. I'm the S2 ncisc for a logistics battalion. And my OIC counterpart was like, I'm retiring in two months. So you're the guy. And so I was the only guy in the S2 for a period of time. I had, you know, I, ha- I did eventually end up getting a supervisor like two years later, a captain. But it was, I-, I had a long time where it was just me and one other soldier, and so I learned so much. And the commander I had was was the best commander I've ever had in the army for sure. He pushed me, and he expected me to still perform despite the fact that I was a basically a brand new E five sergeant. He still expected the same that he would have gotten out of a, out of a captain. Now I don't know if I performed at the like that a captain would perform, but he pushed me. He pushed me really hard, and he also took a very personal approach to mentoring and coaching me and making sure that I was successful. You know, he never, he never gave me a problem set where he didn't also help me achieve, you know, success with it. And so anyway, you know, getting back to the story, I went to ALC, I got promoted to staff surgeon. I talked to my sergeant major right after I got back and I said, Hey, I want to drop a recruiting packet. I want to go to recruiting for a couple of years. Now i got a master's degree and then I want to get out of the and he was like, ah, man, I really wanted to see you go to OCS. You know, you've been doing such a good job. And I was like, yeah, I don't think it's for me. And then, you know, he said, okay, I'll talk to the commander. We'll we'll get your recruiting packet spun up. Anyway, a couple of days later, the commander sees me in the motor pool and he just makes a beeline for me. And I'm like, ah, crap. Like, am I in trouble? What happened? What's going on? Why isn't O five 5 like, almost sprinting towards me? And uh, he told me, he was like, you're not going recruiting. He said, you're going to OCS. And, and he also told me, he said, if you... If you do not tell me yes to this, I'm going to call your wife and I'm going to tell her that you told me no.
1: (laughs) Hey, isn't that the best way to get some get one of us to do something? Yeah. like Growing up, it was always for me, it was like, I'm going to tell your dad and then things are going to get bad. And now it's like, I'm going to tell your wife and things are going to get bad for you. But it was it was it was funny. And I had so many reservations. I said, God, I don't know how to be an officer.
0: I don't know. I don't know what I'm like. I don't know. You know, I don't know. And he was like, you get trained how to do all that stuff. You'll learn along the way. And I was like, all right, sir. You know, and so he he wrote me a letter of recommendation. And I submitted it with my packet, and I got picked that first time. A lot of people have to submit their packets, you know, a couple of times. I had good NCOERs and I but I think that letter of recommendation is, you know, really what secured the slot for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. That that makes sense to me. I, I was supposed to I was gonna be on the same trajectory so i'd like to talk more about you know the ocs process and and stuff like that but it was very similar you know i was working an e5 in an e7 slot as a platoon sergeant and and so just being able and it was a you know it was a a signals intelligence platoon so you're dealing with a lot of different personalities there and and i was able to do that so so they were recruited me to go to OCS. And I, unlike you, I, I told him, I'm just not doing it. I'm getting that. <laughs> yeah, I left there. But speaking of, of OCS now, the, like so the process within OCS, were you able to go there saying, I'm going to be an intel officer and this is no. where the right. So you put in, you know, what you wanted to do. And then at the end, after all, after they take all the coursework and and the field work and everything that you've done, then they tell you this is what you... Basically, it's another recruiting. It's it's kind of like a draft, right? <laughs> where the different infantry and intel and all those, they get to draft the the people that they want. So can you kind of talk through that process during OCS, like what they taught you, and then how you ended up where you are now? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, they're trying to teach you, well, first off, a ton of... Dash, where should
0: I start? Have sorry. OCS originally was meant to be a mechanism to pull primarily, pri- primarily prior enlisted into the officer ranks, right? ROTC and West Point are kind of set as far as how many officers they're going to pull into the army. But OCS is something where they can scale it very rapidly in a time of war if they need to start mass producing officers. And so that's kind of what it originally was. Now, when I went, it was 149 brand new 09 Sierras, which is the MOS for OCS candidates um, or that's that's redundant officer candidates. But, you know, so there's 149 brand new guys, you know, straight out of college, basic training, whatever. And then there were 11 prior service guys. And I was one of those, obviously. So we, we learned some tactics. We learned kind of basic officer stuff. We learned a lot of we kind of brushed over a lot of different subjects, things like property. There was a very brief, like, instruction period on a call for fire. They let us interact with officers of other branches, kind of just pick their brain, see where we wanted to go. And and yeah, I mean, you don't know what you're branching until the branching ceremony. And that's when you find out they hand you a little pin and they're like, all right, go out on stage. Now you're an MP. Yeah. And so it was funny. And yeah, it's OML based. It, it is a draft. So basically there was one finance slot in my OCS class, right? So the the highest guy on the OML that chose finance is who got finance. And then like, the, I want to say that there were six MI slots. And like, you know, probably 12 people tried to pick MI. Well, you know, you only got it if you were higher up on that OML. And then what happens is if you don't get your first choice, then they go down to be your second choice. If there's slots available for that, then you get your second choice, obviously. And so I want to say everybody in my class got either their first or second choice. So it was pretty pretty good. I mean, you've got solid odds of getting what you want. But yeah, it it is OML-based. It's academic
1: and and the physical aspect based where the the parts they range you on. Yeah, and what it may have changed when back when I was in, I got out in 2015. But can you speak to what are some of like the more popular career choices within OCS? Sure. Yeah, Infantry and MI were by far the most popular. Honestly,
0: I can't even remember. I want to say Logistics was pretty popular when I went through too. but MI and Infantry are the ones people wanted. And then there were a lot of guys who were coming in for prior service, or I shouldn't say a lot, this is only 11, but they all... For the most part, wanted to pick something that was in line with what they did on the enlisted side, and there is a a branch packet process where you can basically say, "Hey, I have experience; I should be branched, whatever." And depending on the commandant that you have at OCS at the time, they can approve or not approve that. Right. We didn't we didn't have any of those packets approved. The commandant that
1: we had, of course, that's his prerogative. But yeah, so infantry, and MI, for sure, the most popular. And it's it's like so. I can explain when I was in infantry, it was definitely infantry was was the most popular, and that's because the career trajectory of an infantry officer is far greater than probably any other that that the at least for the army as as much as the army gives because you know if you think of any of the major of the major generals of any war or in any time they were all infantry officers whether they started out in infantry and moved on or or something like that so it's a career trajectory thing now is there a lot so with OCS is there a lot of leadership courses or classes because for your like your NCO courses it's heavy on leadership right yeah
0: yeah definitely you know and the cadre, they tried to teach, you know, leadership from their perspective. And then there were also some just conventional, you know, courses on leadership, like schools or not schools, but people teaching doctrine on leadership, stuff like that. You know, they they did it in blocks. Like history was a huge block. And it's a really stressful part of OCS. The history test gets a decent amount of people. But yeah, they, they definitely taught a lot about leadership. And then you also did leadership positions. Right, so everybody was expected to be in two leadership positions. You had to be, you had to be at least a squad leader and up twice. Right, and so that's everything from squad leader, platoon sergeant, pl company XO, company commander, company first sergeant. Any, you know, you could serve in any of those roles, and you had to do two. I think I ended up being a squad leader twice. You know, I had some conventional ex- leadership experience from the army, and I felt like it was more pertinent to have, you know, the new the guys coming straight out of basic or straight out of college, I felt it was more relevant for them to get, if they wanted to be a PL, like I shouldn't try and take that slot, you know, cause they've never been exposed to military leadership or having to be a military leader. So Matt, and
1: I'm not trying to sound arrogant. It just, I felt that's how I felt at the time. And so that's why I always talk about the, like seeing the differences in an officer. And and so and I've dealt with it with like from the platoon leader. When I was a platoon sergeant, our pl- the first platoon leader I got was was amazing and, and such a great leader. And we worked as a team in order to get the stuff done for our company. But then he transitioned because he was so good, he became XO, which is the executive officer. So your your captain is your your CO, your you know your lieutenant is your exo and we had this Butter Bar, Butter Bar, just a, the gold bar lieutenant come in and they were just right out of college. This was their first platoon leader position. And it was it was terrible. They just did not have the leadership skills, I, I would say. And I don't think they're listening to this because we butted heads a lot. So they don't listen to anything I do. But you could, it was kind of this sense of their leadership was I'm going to tell you what to do. You're not going to question it. You're going to do it and get the mission done. And that's, I see that a lot within the officer. Not a lot, but there are, there are some types of officers that do lead that way. Sure. Is that something that comes out of, of OCS or is that just a mindset of of someone at that position?
0: You know, it's so personality dependent. It certainly doesn't teach that. It, if anything, it teaches the exact opposite because they tell you at OCS, rely on your NCOs. You know, and I think that I think that those feelings and that kind of sentiment comes from a place of insecurity for people. People that are insecure can't take input from other people. I have what is largely considered across the army, a, a lot of experience. you know. Over a decade in the army, most people will say, "Yeah, that's a good amount of experience." And I am constantly looking to my peers, my superiors and my subordinates to give me input and feedback. I I don't have all the answers. I can't see everything and there are still a lot of things that I have not experienced in the military. I need the help of other people to make decisions, especially as an officer. You know? And
1: it's you know, it is it's personality driven, you know, and you get that. You know, leadership is personality driven. Yeah, and then your personality, I think, is a lot like mine. We're very you can call me out if I'm saying anything that's that's not true, but we're we're super chill, relaxed. We, we have similar sense of humors if, if your videos are any indication of that. It doesn't bleed through into this podcast, but it, it, I, I'm seeing those things and have, you know, thought the exact same sort of joke. So I'd like to move over to Mandatory Fun Day because, sure. you know, that is your part. That's your personality, whether it's an alternate personality to kind of get that stuff out there. And uh, you, you kind of mentioned all in, in how it started but if you're willing to talk us through, like, what's the process of, I've got an idea, I need to, to get a script together, put the video together, and then the post-production. Can you walk us through that whole process? Yeah, so uh, honestly,
0: and not that many people have asked me, like, how do you come up with ideas? Some people have, but honestly, they just kind of pop into my brain. You know, sometimes it's, Well, it always has to do with something I've at least heard of happening in the military. But I really do try and base all my videos on things that I have experienced. And so there's no script. Okay. I take take videos and and I literally, you know, I hold up my phone and I'm like, hey, what's going on, Corey? And I'm like, oh, not much, Tim. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then the editing I do in an app and it's honestly really low budget and it's Quite frankly, very low effort, and that's kind of what I need because I don't have a lot of time to be doing editing stuff like that. And I throw a caption on there, and you know, I have the same hashtags that I copy and paste onto every video, and I change them based on the platform. But that's it. You know, my process is is fairly easy. Now, when I see people commenting video ideas, or if they send me in a message a video idea, and I think it's something that I can viably create. I will screenshot it and I have it in like an album on my phone, but uh, honestly, that's about it. And so if I'm like running low on ideas, I'll pull one of those out and I'll make a video out of it. And then oh shoot, I, I lost my train of thought, but yeah, I, so I'll pull it out, you know, Oh, I keep, I keep about 20 to 30 videos queued up, like ready to go. So if, if there ever comes a time when I cannot make videos, then I, you know, I have a couple ready to go
1: and i think you probably understand that as a podcaster <laughs> yeah definitely it's it's sort of the same process of i from idea to you know i do i do write up sort of an outline for what we're going to do just because it's i can't remember everything so so kind of the yeah. inside and it sounds very similar to what, what you're doing and what i have learned over the last few years is you know i i always used to think that Okay, I've got all this stuff in my head. Just keep it there, and I can regurgitate it when I need to. yeah, and and I, I hate like to it. tell everybody, but that's not how the human brain works unless you are a very high achieving thinker. You've got to write this stuff down. So now I have like the the reminder app on my phone, and I put myself reminders down. I've got you know different. Uh, so sort of my process is there's a site called Feedly and I'd get all of the, you know, I do some open source stuff through Feedly and, and just put it all into there so I can come back to it. Yep. And and then we go back to that. We write it out and then we can do the podcast. Very similar sure. to what, what you do. Now, when you started doing this, was this like a mental health release? You know, something that. You oh, yeah, did. for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's it's a little bit cathartic. You know, and, it, you know, gosh, it's hard to put words into how many different positive things this has been for me. And if my comments and the messages I get are anything to go off of positive for a lot of other people too. I never try, I try and always come from a place of humbleness, never arrogance, you know, but I get a lot of people commenting, sending me emails, messages, whatever. And they're saying, thank you, you know, for voicing this. This is a frustration for me. And I'm glad somebody else sees it and I'm not crazy. And I love it, you know, and I don't disparage any specific Channing Man, I don't disparage any specific person. They are just scenarios that I think universally we all dislike, you know, and so I think that's why it's been overwhelmingly seen as a positive thing. And it's really fun getting to talk to especially some of the young troops and, you know, they're like, yeah, this guy's, you know, fighting for us and all that stuff. So I'll get to show guys kind of a little bit behind the curtain. You know, I mean, my favorite video to use as an example of this was my toaster video where I'm like, hey, go work on that $10 million tank, but you can't have a toaster in your barracks. And people <laughs> were like, yeah, this is dumb. Why can't we have a toaster in our barracks here? And I get to say, whoa, 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 off the brakes. I'm making fun of this, but that doesn't mean I don't agree with it because. If you give 100 dudes in the barracks a toaster, one of them will burn down the barracks. And yeah. that's why that's why we have that rule. That's at least you're being or just largest...
1: <laughs> at least you're being supervised with a hundred million dollar piece of equipment. That toaster, yeah. that toaster's is going to go through the ring.
0: Yeah. And and so it's fun getting to show guys like, hey, some of this policy, although it is frustrating, it has, you know, are some of the rules that we have in the military just kind of down? Yeah, they are, you know. You know, I still, to this day, I don't know why we can't just have our hands in our pocket in the <laughs> Army. The Air Force did away with that forever ago. But a lot of policy does have a purpose
1: and, and showing guys that it's not all it's just me, bliss and mindless is pretty cool. And I think the, the one that resonates most with a lot of, you know, people like myself and, and sort of veterans that I've been around is the hand pocket thing. You can't you can't have the, your hands in the pocket and. And you did a really awesome video about that where it kind of went through and and you'll be able to talk to this better than I can remember it. But it kind of went through what you're allowed, you know, what you can do, why you can do it and then what you can. And one was like, well, you can't put your hands in your pocket. Why? Because it's unprofessional. Mm -hmm. Why? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the millennial generation. I think the millennial generation is the generation of why, you know, and for better or for worse, that's who we are you know many years ago you could just say because i told you so you know because i told you to do it and that was an acceptable answer to generations in the past but i truly believe access to information has made young people distrust people in positions of authority because if you say something and i can verify it somehow like that's it you know what i mean if i see that you are you're being fictitious You've lost trust. And so I think there's inherent distrust in a lot of young
1: people now. That's a great point because it it actually focuses in on a lot of what we're trying, like the the company that I have, what we're trying to do with sort of misinformation and disinformation campaigns. And I do think that this, the the millennial generation, the generation coming up now, they are question askers askers because they have been inundated with misinformation and they've believed something and then found out whether it's an hour, a day or a week later, oh, that wasn't even true. This is actually yeah. what went on, so so it kind of trained their brain to to question everything, and that's probably frustrating for older generations, but it's it's honestly it is what helped when when Russia invaded Ukraine. yeah, you know, it, it, there was a ton of misinformation going out, but there were younger open source analysts that were calling it out and were, were promote, not promoting, but they were, they were highlighting the misinformation and then giving, giving the real information through actual factual data that they were processing, you know, whether it's through the metadata from photos or, or information like that. So, I think it's actually helping society to, to yeah. do those questions.
2: Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Do you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh, oh,
1: O'Reilly
2: Auto parts.
0: Yeah, I do too. You know, and regardless of whether it's helping or not, it is a general, generational work. And the next generation that joins the military after, you know, I'm gone and my generation is gone, they're going to have their own both strengths and weaknesses, their, their own qualities. And, you know, trying to say that it's better or worse, I think is irrelevant. You just have to figure out how to work with it. That's the challenge of leadership, you know? You have a subordinate, you know, you can sit there and think, ah, this guy's not petting it. This guy's, you know, this, that, and the other. Or you can say, how do I figure out how to use them? you know, how do I figure out how to use
1: this this person to the, and make them better and, you know, make the team better. So is the, now I want to get back to how much the army has changed since I got out, because that we, sure? we, we had a conversation before doing all this and it's, I'm still blown away. I'm still blown away that you're able to do this stuff, the Mandatory Fund Day stuff, with, within the military. Because in, for me, had I started that, I know my leadership would have said, hey, cut that out. You need to focus on the mission. Sure. But, but your, it seems like your leadership has, has sort of evolved from that and said, hey, this is actually great promotion for the military. You, you might seem counterintuitive, but it's kind of that you know, even bad news can be good PR. And so I kind of feel that same way. Has there been a change in leadership in the military?
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely for a long time. And there are still people that inherently think social media is bad. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a current leader in the military and you are just adamantly anti-social media, that's where your troops are. They're on social media. Like, that's where they are. And so just looking at it as if it's just an inherently evil thing is just asinine, in my opinion. Uh, can it be bad? Yeah. And quite frankly, I've seen things on TikTok that I have reached out to change the commando. you know, because there are things that we don't want out there. Nothing like classified or anything like that, but just behavior that's not, not becoming of a United States service member. My leadership views it as a positive thing, you know, and part of the reason it's my leadership not toxic. Uh, and I I largely make fun of toxic leadership, Yeah, uh, but also, you know, they can, they can laugh at themselves. I make fun of butter bars more than probably any other demographic in the military. And I'm a butter bar. You, ha- you have to be able to laugh at yourself. And, and yes, I I've said this to a few people. I don't say it that much anymore because, you know, I, I don't want to give the wrong impression, but if my video about having to stand in a formation for three hours for no reason is the thing that causes you not to join the military, the military probably wasn't for you in the first place. Like we are a machine of, of a million people, you know, there's going to be some inherent inefficiencies in that. And, and there's going to just bad things are going to come with that. But overall, there's way more good than bad in the military. I, I truly believe that, especially when you make the military work for you and you have, but yeah, I'd say that there has been a change, a shift, you know, You know, leadership is still cracks down when things are happening on social media that shouldn't be. But when something positive is going on, you know, largely people are okay with it. And I told my leadership, too, if they came to me and said, hey, we need you to take something down, I would take down a
1: question, you know, obviously. But, you know, so far, they haven't had an issue. That's good. That's good to know. And speaking of sort of you mentioned, guess where, you know, guess where your new recruits are? They're on social media. Guess guess where your troops are? They're on social media. Speaking of like new recruits and getting people into the military, there's a lot of reports going on that we are the new generation coming up is just not they don't they're not qualified for the military. And the at least the army and the Marines are very concerned that they're not going to meet quotas within the military, within these new recruits. Do you see that as? A lot of it brings like fitness and, and you are, you have a background in fitness. You do a lot of stuff with doing like clean eating or, or making clean products for the gym and, and going to the gym. So are you seeing that within the ranks or within the new, new people coming up? They'll, they're just either overweight or they're not trained for it. Or is it sort of like a mentality thing? To this generation is not here for authority to tell them you're, this is when you wake up, this is when you go to sleep, and this is what you do between those hours.
0: Yeah, I don't think that there's anything inherently about this new generation that, you know, I, I think nobody likes getting told what to do, at least initially. You know, that's all of us. I don't think that that is why people are choosing not to join the military. Quite frankly, I think that the poor investments we've made in the treatment of people over the last 20 years in the army has had those people get out of the military and then tell everybody around them, do not join the military. You know, if you get treated like crap throughout your service and then you get treated like crap when you're trying to get out and trying to transition, you're not going to tell anybody to join the military. You know what I mean? And this seems like common sense. There's a lot of people that seem to take personal offense when somebody says, ah, this is not for me. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like more power to you, man. I, I didn't think it was for me either. There's still days that I question if it's for me. The fitness thing, yeah, it's definitely an issue, you know? There are so many, uh, even for my generation, my generation, like my generation when I was young is the first generation where people really, it started becoming common to have like a computer in your house, for example. And with that, there's now activities, a lot of activities, a lot of options for activities that you can do in your house, right? On video games, stuff like that. You know, my, my parents had video games but not nearly like what we have now. And so they were inherently probably outside of playing. It's definitely something that we need to address. I think it's, I think it's probably pretty easy to address though. You know, off the top of my head, adding like an extra month to the beginning of basic training where you just help people get to a, a level of fitness, you know, where they can then meet the standard. You know, I know we were doing that with the Future Soldier Program when I first joined the Army. You know, guys that didn't meet the body fat standard, for example, would work with their recruiters. I, I, I believe that we should have dedicated like, fitness professionals working with those people to get them where they need to be. I'm very passionate about fitness. It's something that I thought I wanted to do as a career. I've decided to shift for my master's. I'll be getting a master's in clinical mental health counseling, but I'm very passionate about it. There is no reason why the average American service member should not have access to like strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, physical therapists, personal trainers. That's what we give professional athletes. And professional athletes are not at risk of dying when they're doing their job. You know, we should have access to that kind of stuff as American service members. And it's getting better. It's getting a lot better. Like Doctrine that's coming out now, FM7-22 is kind of the holistic health and fitness regulation. It's got a lot of really good material, a lot of really good material. Getting people to read it is the challenge. A lot of guys in the military seem to think that they are a personal trainer despite having no background in, in fitness or exercise science, you know, and if I tried to do somebody, if I tried to go be an instrument, I would not be successful. I don't have the background, you know, and it's the same way. We require civilians to take a personal training certification and validate that they have the knowledge to train people, but we don't really do the same thing in the military. You know, we have MFTs and your unit may or may not have them, but they're really not used. You know, so I think it's, a, I think it's an issue from soup to nuts as far as the military goes. You know, it's, it's an issue prior to joining. And then it's also an issue of when you're in, there's so much bad information out there there's so many bad PT programs. There's 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 a lot of exercise related injury. I mean, you did your time. You saw it. You yeah. know, ninety percent of the time, if there isn't a plan, we just run, and we're seeing the uh, the dividends of that as well. You know, yeah. largely running related overuse injuries are what get treated in the military, and it's like, lo and behold, if we if all
1: we do is run, that's what you that's the injuries you're gonna have. And so yeah, yeah I mean. It's, it, it's definitely something that I did see. And it's one another one of your your videos that I think I've told you before really resonated was the running one where, you know, you have you have a, an NCO or a leader who's very good at push ups and sit ups yeah. and kind of doing or if you're in the Marines, or you don't pull ups or, or anything like that. They're very gym focused and, and they're in very good shape, but they can't run as much. But that's what the army focuses on even when I was in. But when I was getting out. They were transitioning to a newer PT program, a newer APFT, which is the, you know, your whether you do it monthly or or biannually or whatever, you take a a fitness test was the annual, you know, fitness test for each person in the military. So I I got out before that transitioned over. Have you gotten to transition into that program? And what are your thoughts on how they've shifted to these? if you can explain the different, different exercises that they're looking for and, and if that is beneficial, or maybe you think it, they should kind of tweak it a little bit. Sure. Yeah, so the new test is called the Army Combat Fitness Test, the ACFT.
0: And let me tell you, it is infinitely better than the APFT was. So getting in the, into the weeds a little bit, there's, there's kind of two types of energy systems in the body, right? There's aerobic energy systems and anaerobic energy systems. Aerobic is what you'd think of as a runner right? A runner is primarily aerobic. Anaerobic is more like a bodybuilder or a weightlifter, you know, that's primarily anaerobic. The APFT was almost a completely aerobic test, right? Despite the fact that you're doing push-ups and sit-ups, the, the length of time on the push-ups and sit-ups, that two minutes, is getting up to that aerobic threshold, right? The ACFT has six events and they test everything from your aerobic with the run to your almost completely anaerobic with the deadlift, and then a lot of things in between. It is a phenomenal test, a phenomenal test. And I think it shows an amazing shift in fitness culture in the Army
1: specifically. Can I push back just a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because I have heard people within, you know, the Reserve and the National Guard component who would rather go back to the old way because they don't have access to the gym. They've yep. never done a deadlift in their life. And and so I, I say that kind of to push back and, and get your thoughts on it, because then I also agree with you know what you're saying, that that sort of give access to gyms to these yep. uh, these people.
0: Well, so here's here's the first thing. The logistics behind the test were always that was people's biggest drawback or biggest you know, frustration with it? How are we going to get equipment to people that don't have equipment? Any college campus across America has the equipment that you need to do the ACFT. So if it's a matter of leaders coordinating with locals on getting equipment, because I talked to the NGA sergeant major and he that's what he did, right? And you know, I know you're familiar with NGA. Yeah, but I talked to the NGA sergeant major back when I was in ALC a couple of years ago. And he was like, yeah, we just coordinate with a local college. They let us use their equipment. I think it's really that easy. If the unit needs to dip into some funds to buy some exercise equipment, it's not that much. It's a drop in the bucket as far as the military's budget goes. Right. You know, pay up. You, you buy it one time, you maintain the equipment, and it'll last you for decades. Now, to people saying they've never done a deadlift, the hex bar deadlift, if you've lifted fuel cans, you've done the hex bar deadlift. If you've lifted a litter in any fashion, whether combat or otherwise, you've done the hex bar deadlift. You know, that is the most mechanically advantageous way to pick up an object or the human body. And so a normal deadlift, I'd agree with them. Yeah, there's a lot of risk of injury when you're doing maximal conventional deadlifts. And that's my favorite lift. I got a 525 pound conventional deadlift. I love deadlifts. But the hex bar deadlift, incredibly safe. And
1: it's a really good demonstration of your anaerobic capacity. Yeah, and have you ever thought about doing a series on that. You just talked about, hey, you know, you don't have to go into a gym with, a dead, with all this equipment and actually pick it up. You have fuel cans. I mean, your motor mm-hmm. pool probably has 90% of the equipment that you need to put together. Right.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, any, any commercial gym, for the most part, the hex bars might be kind of difficult to find, but that's when you put two dumbbells to either side of you and you pick up dumbbell. You know what I mean? You can simulate the hex bar deadlift. It's not going to be perfect, but that's not the point. You know, the point is to get the job done until you have the equipment that you need. But yeah, I would love to branch out into more fitness-related content, and I definitely think I'm going to. I'm currently working a couple of projects kind of behind the scenes. And so that's where my focus is. I'm actually, yeah, I haven't told anybody yet, but I'm, I'm going to do a, a giveaway because I exceeded 200,000 followers across all my platforms. And so I'm going to do a giveaway of have a really cool metal American flag that a an active duty owned company made for me. Huh? So I'm going to put that video out either tomorrow or the day after. But yeah, I definitely want to start branching out into some other content because I think people find value. On TikTok, it doesn't do as well. But on Instagram, it does very well. Instagram's more, the larger the following you have, the more people are going to see it but you can have a million followers on TikTok and put out a video and it gets a couple hundred views. Like there's no, there's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes the algorithm kind of just punch you. Well,
1: taking that into account, what's, what's sort of like the difference? I know you don't have eyes on the algorithm of either TikTok or or Instagram, but are you seeing there are more like fitness influencers on Instagram there, there would be on TikTok. And if so, like what's your opinion on why that is?
0: I I do think there probably are more fitness influencers on Instagram. There's a lot on TikTok. I think Instagram now is more geared towards that stuff. You can get the same thing out of Instagram that you can get out of TikTok. Plus, you can get like posts, which TikTok doesn't do. But now with the Reels function, Instagram offers a lot of the same functionality as as far as the algorithm goes there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason why certain things do or do not do well. I've noticed that when people share my content, those videos tend to do extremely well, no matter what kind of video I make. But some, uh, on the flip side, sometimes I'll go, there will be a few days where I don't get anything above, you know, like 5,000 views on videos on TikTok, and it feels like I'm being artificially suppressed. So, I, you know, TikTok's a, a different beast as far as the algorithm goes. It's pretty straightforward on Facebook and Instagram. You know, on Instagram, I had one post that went super viral out of nowhere. Overnight, I gained a couple thousand followers. And from then on, it just snowballed. And Facebook is kind of now doing the same thing for me. I had a po- I've had had a post go pretty viral. It's at a couple million views, I want to say, on Facebook. And I went from like 500 followers to like 7,500 in the- over the course of two days. You're now the- all my- Sorry, do you remember the content that was in it? Yeah, it's honestly, it's the video that did really well on TikTok too. It's my government travel card video. Uh And it's kind of, it does, it does really well
1: everywhere because people hate that thing. Yeah, well, you're going to get me triggered because I did comment on your Instagram page about the travel card. Yeah. Because what I basically said was anybody been in West Texas, you know, a quarter of the way towards where their final destination, stranded at a gas station. Without, because their government travel card wasn't turned on, and it's Saturday, and you call, and no one's there, and so now you're <laughs> stuck. Just me, yeah. I guess, just me. And no, everybody kind of liked it and, and commented on, you know, how terrible that travel card is. Yeah, yeah.
0: It it really with the travel card, it comes down to people not understanding the system, and that's both the end user and the person behind the screen. That's where you get pickups. I wish it was, a, I wish the interface was a little more intuitive. I do. But, you know, overall, when people know how to use the system, it, it's better. I'm,
1: I'm one of the guys that are working that system now. And so I'm slowly learning it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, frustrating. We're not going to get anybody in the military to talk good about the government travel card. If you had a great yeah. post about a veteran with their going, going corporate and getting their corporate travel card. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. The anxiety of using it and then being told, no, we pay it. Don't worry. It just goes yeah. directly here and, and you have to use that. <laughs> and it's definitely so, something as somebody that, that transferred over into that area, into the corporate world. That was one of the first things that I saw. Where I was like, oh, wait, you're going to give me this. Card? I can't use this card. You have to use that card. Yeah. And we will pay for it. And that's all you you have to do. So, so many hoops to jump through in the military. Yes. Yeah, they do not.
0: The military wants to keep high control over the money spent, which makes sense. You know, it it is very good policy, but it makes it frustrating for the end user at times. You know, especially when you're just trying to get something done that you don't even necessarily want to do. You know, you just want to, you're just, you're being told, hey, you got to go here, figure it out. And you're like, all right, well, here
1: we go. Yeah, that happens a lot. It, It really does. There are a lot of things within the military that you get your hand held through the entire process, oh, yeah, and, sure. and it's very basic stuff. But then there are some non-basic things that you're just told, well, it's up to you. You you should do it. You know, it's kind of like filing taxes as, as anyone does in the United States, and and you go, okay, so you tell me how much I owe you. No, you figure it out. Well, what if I get it ah. wrong? You go to jail. And it's very yeah. similar in the military. It's like, well, what if I get this wrong? Oh, don't worry. Article 15, You'll you'll lose rank. But it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. So then I wanted to kind of get in to, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. So however much time you have left here, I, I'd love to just talk about TikTok. That's everybody talks about TikTok. The US is going to ban TikTok. I, I talk about a lot of it on the podcast because of ByteDance, which is the company that owns TikTok, which is a Chinese company. But you, you know, as an Intel officer, have a, a TikTok account and you are not worried about sort of the, China's got data on every single one of us, anyway. That's not really my concern, but but your concern—you have no concerns about sort of your your identity or the algorithm promoting things that that maybe are not good for your mental health.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I'm not worried about it. I maintain, you know, to the best of my ability, I maintain obscurity while I'm on there. I have yet to have a single person reach out to me on any of my personal platforms, my personal email, my work email, not. And so I think I've done a pretty good job. I will continue not to advertise where I am living, stuff like that, you know, and I will continue to keep as much of my personal life hidden uh, as, you know, as necessary. But yeah, I think that the, and of course I will always, I will always follow whatever policies put out by the military. You know, if they, if they tell us, you know, we're turning the TikTok off to more expand, I'll be off TikTok. But I don't, I don't think that the, I don't think that there's inherently a security risk to service members having having a TikTok. People posting things on TikTok that they shouldn't be posting, definite issue. And that's why I've done things like a lot of my videos I'll do in a room somewhere as opposed to out walking around. You know, it's going to be extremely difficult to figure out where I'm at just from a room, stuff like that. You know, and that's not from an OPSEC need. That's just from a me personally. I don't want people knowing where I'm at. Right. And so, yeah, I just... I just don't, I don't see it as this tremendous security
1: risk. If people were making TikToks at skiffs, I'd think that that wasn't an issue, <laughs> but that's not happening, you know? Not, not yet. That'll be the next generation. We'll be probably have that. <laughs> yeah. But, no, and I guess we should say, you know, a skiff is just the secure location for, you know, in, intelligence related products. You, we've seen a couple of presidents. I'll, I'll talk about this. I won't make you talk about any of this, but we've seen two presidents now. Have classified documents in their homes, they're not supposed to be there. They're supposed to be in a skiff in and, and even within the skiff, they're supposed to be locked away at the end of the day inside of a safe so to to have you're not even supposed to have your phone on you, but I could see a generation coming up and saying, "Hey, we'll really promote this job that we're doing let's let's do this funny video inside the skiff and and kind of show where we're at." I think that would be a huge national security issue. Yeah. Let's hope not. Yeah. Let's, let's avoid that one. So, is there anything on your radar for like the next social media platform? We kind of, so we, we kind of, well, let's say what I started with MySpace, Friendster, things yep. that don't even exist anymore. And then kind of yes. transitioned to Facebook, and that was the premiere. It's still kind of going, but it's nowhere near where Twitter is now and then where Instagram is. Now we have TikTok. Is there something that's on the horizon that that maybe you have seen that you're interested in like that, that could really blow up soon and and everybody will be on that platform? yeah,
0: it's kind of funny. I wish I had the name of it, but there was an app that was that came out a social media platform where you could anonymously give people compliments oh, wow. and it dethroned TikTok as the number one social media platform for like two or three days wow. so this stuff is always evolving and there will be another thing. I think, and this is my assessment. I'm not a social media analyst by any stretch of the imagination, but my assessment is that the reign of TikTok is not going to be like what we saw with Facebook. Facebook was, I mean, it's still around. It's still a powerhouse, you know, I, it, and because Facebook owns Instagram, you know, you basically consider those one company. That's kind of the number one. But you know, there will be something else. Nothing's on my radar at the moment, but kind of funny. I have started creating my content in a way where I can post it to these new platforms as they come up. So
1: nice. You know, it won't it won't be TikTok exclusive for sure. That's that's awesome. I saw Be Real. Have you seen the Be Real social media? Uh-uh. So I don't have, I don't have it because I, I mean, I don't even have Snapchat or TikTok or anything like that. I'm getting too old these days, I guess. But Be Real is basically, it's it's TikTok, but it's basically you being real for TikTok. Mm -hmm. So from what I have noticed or from what I have seen of it, you kind of get an alert. And within that alert, you have a certain amount of time where you have to post a picture of yourself and what you're doing. And then it just gets blasted out to you know, whoever you're following and whoever's following you. And the thought behind it is not sort of these, the content that you create, but like you've created and can push to different platforms, but it's you as yourself, what are you doing right now? So it kind of right. takes out the aspect sort of not influencers like yourself who are just get a phone and you're doing it anyway, but sort of the setup uh, I've got my ring. I've got it's all going towards my desktop that has all these applications that create the video and do that. And this is just you being you being real. Do you, you, do you think that's something that could happen within social media where it's like, I want people to be more real, to be more upfront with who they are? Yeah, it's funny that you're bringing that up because it's already happening. My
0: content is not airbrushed my content is not filtered my content is not edited very much i stumble with my words i stutter i'd probably mispronounce words we we it was called the instagram era the era where everything had to look perfect and posed and the lighting had to be just right and that doesn't resonate with people anymore people don't want to see that because it's not real You know, people don't want to see your perfectly immaculate, clean room. They want to see your room trashed because that's what they're like. You know what I mean? That's what resonates with people. And so it's it's funny that you bring that up because I think that is the next wave. I think that's the next evolution. And you even see it now. You know, I just started partnering with a supplement company called Bulk Supplement. I have been a user of their product for years. I probably bought thousands of dollars worth of their product. And so it seemed like an easy area. It seemed like uh, it made sense to reach out to them and see if I could partner with them. And they were more than happy to partner with me. And so you'll start seeing me promote them more. But, you know, I saw examples of their the influencers that they work with and they're in their home gyms and the home gym is not, I mean, it doesn't look dirty or anything, but it also that de- things aren't perfectly organized and everything's where it's supposed to go and that kind of stuff. It's just a person promoting a product in their home gym. And I think that's really cool. I think social media has a, has a an ability to put an unnecessary standard on the rest of us. You know, even if it's subconscious, we're all people, we're all making our way through life, doing the best we can. Nobody's life is like perfectly airbrushed all the time. It's just not, it's not real.
1: You know, unless you're super rich, you got a nanny and stuff like that, but, you know, I'm certainly not. Yeah, and, and I think you, you're bringing up some great points because of the, you know, in this influencer market over the last, I would say, five to 10 years, there was this kind of grifter status or inauthenticity within people, you know, a post about going to Greece and, you know, being on a yacht and all of this. This is 10 minutes of this person's day. And it, it's kind of this is my life. Now And you, people are like, oh, my goodness, that, that's your life. That's so awesome. Then you find out, no, they're living in a condo in Miami. Uh-huh. Um, and this is yeah. just something they got paid to go do and, and promote it. So I like the authenticity portion. And I really do hope that social media goes to authenticity because yep. what I'd like to what I'd like to finish up here, what I think is probably the most important thing that we can talk about is and it deals with social media and it's the mental health aspect of the military plus the, the social media Influence on on mental health. Now, I just put out a post today. Just saw a post that the VA has made mental health free to access to mental health free for all veterans. Uh, and now, so starting on Tuesday of of January, I believe that is the seventeenth or eighteenth of January, people will be able, to, veterans will be able to go to the VA and get mental health care with without zero no questions asked. Besides the therapist asking you questions, there will be questions. <laughs> yeah. But no money, zero, zero co-pays, zero insurance payments. Awesome. And, and I know that mental health is a big part of who you are and, and what you, what you talk about to make people successful in their lives. So I'd like comments about that and then maybe go into the social media aspect of, of mental health and how you keep your, your, how you keep upbeat, even though you are on social media a lot. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I will
0: start this off by saying I'm not always a feat, but <laughs> I do. I, I do my best, you know, I, but I have my off days or my off moments. you know, just like the rest of it. I'd like, I do like to consider myself a very positive person overall. I've done a lot of work with counselors. I've done a lot of work with therapists and I'm very open about it. Even if you don't need a therapist currently or you don't think you do. A therapist can help you tremendously with self development and and improving yourself, improving the way that you perceive the world, improving the way that you really do everything. And so i've 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 worked with a lot of therapists over the years, and you know that's something that I'm very passionate about. But yeah, the, the stigma has has it's not totally gone in the military, but it it's largely going away. People are okay; they're comfortable talking about going and talking to the counselor. And that's another good thing that the millennial generation and younger is kind of bringing to the military. You know, it's not this taboo thing anymore. Now, making it free for all veterans, I I really wish that it was, I really wish everyone everywhere had access to at least low cost mental health care. I think that that is something we can benefit from as a country. But having, giving veterans access to it through the VA is phenomenal, you know? I think that there are a lot of horror stories about the VA out there, but I know a lot of guys that work for the VA and they're all good dudes and they want to do the right thing. So I think largely people will get the help that they need. Um, anytime you're dealing with a demographic of people that span hundreds of thousands of people, there are going to be times when mistakes happen. It doesn't make those mistakes acceptable, but you know, we we have to expect that to some extent, you know, and how we, how we, you know, react in the aftermath of those mistakes. it's big, but largely, I think the VA does a lot of good things.
1: Yeah. So in my sense, it's usually talking. So when we talk about something goes wrong and then there's a reaction to it, usually within the, the U.S. government and the U.S. military, the reaction is baby is, is basically throw the baby out with the bathwater. This, this failed. And because it failed, we're just going to completely nobody can have this anymore. I think they have been trying to do that with the VA, at least recently, within the last five or 10 years oh, really? is there's there was a lot of complaints about what the VA is doing and the what the backlog in the VA. And you're you're talking about a demographic in the U.S. that is very pro military. You, you know, there's it's probably more than 60 percent of the country is pro military. So when you talk about anything with veterans not getting what they're supposed to or what people think they are owed because of their service, you get a lot of people up in arms about it. I think that has gone on with with the V.A., and there, there's these little cracks that I'm that I've been seeing that I I hope they don't continue where they just go. We just need to abolish it and set some other government program up because no matter what the government program is going to be, it's not going to be perfect. Right? Yeah. That's just to... Any
0: program, don't let a lot, you
1: know? Right. Yeah, and it's it's I mean, so I, I talk about this kind of like so I I'm, saw I'm a sports fan and I'm from New Orleans, so the New Orleans Saints we. We talked about the Superdome for a while, and they wanted to tear it down and and it's basically the same thing. It's like this is a perfectly good structure. what are you're going to just blow it up to spend right money to build something else back up and that's kind of like these programs like uh, we'll just blow it up and and set something new or create a new website for it, and that website is done by a government official, so it crashes very easily in that that first. <laughs> two hours that it's put out there. But yeah, I, I think I saw that this morning. I, I saw the VA was going to be giving free mental health care. And so we've come a long way in the U.S. military. Yeah, and, and I always talk to guys like yourself within the military and veterans. We're always discussing the mental health aspect because there there is a stigma. And especially the higher the higher up you are or the more elite set of forces that you're working with, the bigger the mm-hmm. stigma is. Because uh, yeah. you're supposed to be, you know, mentally, physically, the toughest people that you you can be, and you could be the most mentally tough person in the world and still have a breakdown. Yeah, uh, because you saw your best friend die right next to you. So it's yeah. it's tough. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it, it's very I, it's very
0: powerful when people who are senior in rank, you know, come out and say, hey, you know, it is okay to see help. And now that I'm an officer, that's something that I want to do. Right? I'm not really senior in rank. Oh, one's not senior. Like, I mean, it, it's literally senior as far as it is a commissioned officer, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm kind of a low man on the totem pole. But I, you know, to a lot of the young troops, a lot of lower enlisted troops, they do see me as senior. And if I can be a person that tells them, hey, it's okay to seek help, those are the future first sergeants and sergeant major of the Army. You know what I mean? And so knowing that I'm getting to inspire a generation to seek help, to seek their mental health in a positive way, it's it's powerful for me. And I, I'm
1: hoping that it'll be powerful to, for the military at large. Well, well, I hope so. And, and talking with you, I'm seeing that it is kind of changing. And so I really appreciate that. And yeah, I I really love talking, you know, especially somebody who is still in, who is promoting that mental health thing, just because mm-hmm uh and it's probably because when i was in when i was in uniform i was the guy saying that don't go get mental health therapists are stupid you're supposed to be you know it's not good leadership i just told people hey just talk it out with your buddy yeah your buddy's not trained to discuss these things with you in a way that's going to improve what you're thinking so so i'm very happy i'm very excited in talking to you and and kind of getting that information that things are changing within the ranks of the military. And so if you had looked at it before, if you're listening now and you have looked at maybe one of your kids signing up for the military or you were going to sign up for the military, I I think now is I know there's a lot going on where you're probably scared about what the future looks like geopolitically. But as far as access to mental health, healthcare. School, all those things are, are there. It's, it's getting better. Do you have any advice for those parents who might be kind of thinking, well, I don't know if my kid should join the military?
0: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, parents' decision, you know, on what to advise their child is, is that's their decision. You know, and I'm not going to question that. The military has done a lot of amazing things for me, though. It has set me up for success. It has set my I've my wife up for success. I've had four children. I'm in no medical debt. You know, I got a bachelor's degree. And the only reason I was able to even be successful in college is because of the qualities that the military gave. I was very aimless as a young man. And, you know, I'm thirdly now. So there's a lot of people that still consider me pretty young. But, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old, I would not have been successful in the civilian world, I don't think. Maybe I would have. You know, I think everybody's kind of punchers chance. But, you know, the military gave me structure, gave me, gosh, just so many qualities that made me successful in school, right? So I got my bachelor's degree. My wife's going to get her bachelor's degree for free because I gave her my GI Bill. My kids will probably have school benefits. There are a lot of benefits to it. And, you know, there are inherent risks to joining the military. You know, we are here to fight and win the nation's wars. But I believe that the benefits that you get out of it far outweigh the risks, you know, and... Especially now. This kind of stuff's winding down. We're at a point of really reduced conflict and now is a great time to join the military. Really set yourself up for success. For those that are scared of potentially elect deploying or whatever, you know, join the military, you know, take the benefits that you can, you know, give back to the military in whatever way you're able and then get out and have a successful life, you know.
1: Yeah, we're not we're not gonna look down on anybody who gets four years and and gets out. I mean that's absolutely not. That's four years more than
2: 99% of yes. of the U.S. So. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: Well, Austin, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this was this was really fun, really loved here. And I, I love the sort of inside scoop on the content being made and, and how you do that. But as I always tell everybody, stay safe out there.